0: Good to see you here, this kind of little intimate setting we got going on here. Uh, this is one of the sermons I give where I get to, uh, I guess, pick the text. We go through books at our church, and, you know, it's kind of my preference to just stay in the books throughout the year, but I understand Christmas and Easter, like, every day should be Christmas and Easter for believers, right? You know what I'm saying? But I understand the seasonal thing, so we take a little time out uh, today from our Roman series. I know it's been pretty heavy, right? Leading up today, we've been talking about a lot of depravity of humanity, right? Remember that? It's been really encouraging. But it's been setting up for the gospel, and so today's very appropriate. So I was thinking about, it's really hard for me to choose text uh, just to preach isolated. So I was, had this great thing in mind uh, with regard to the book of Luke. And I was preparing for it and getting excited about it. And as I was preparing this message in Luke, I reverted back to a passage I preached about three years ago in Matthew. And I thought to myself, wow, I need that passage again. I need that truth again. And so I started looking at that passage again. And so that's where we're going to be in Matthew. And the reason why I want to revisit this three years later uh, is let me tell you what was going on three years ago. It was around this time. Yeah, it was at this time. Three years ago, my wife and I were in Africa. We were in Ethiopia uh, trying to go through an adoption process for our little, uh, little girl named Mary. And leading up to this process was a very uh, uh, stressful time. Two years up to it, a lot of paperwork, a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry. Finally, get over there. We meet her for the first time, and we go to court, and we don't pass court, which is another stressful thing. So, we had to fly back, leave our uh, daughter there in Ethiopia, which was the plan originally, but not passing court was not part of the plan. So, we leave her in Ethiopia, we fly back to Chicago, and we wait with uh, a lot more paperwork, uh, a lot more phone calls. Go back to, to pick her up through the something called embassy. And that was a little stressful, a little delays, but we finally got to bring her back home. And now she's a three-year-old girl, very happy. For those of you who know her, she's running around her house and is glad to have her home. But the deal is, is that that time was messy. It was not pretty. And if you doubt that, I have somebody for you to talk to. During that time, we had a uh, a woman living with us, Lorna Beth, she's here today, so she can attest to this, and she was dating this guy next to her who's now, she's married to, and uh, so Lorna Beth saw our adoption drama, our freakouts, and I'm sure when she was dating Brad, he'd come and visit, she'd probably tell him and talk about us behind our backs, but <laughs> no, probably not, I mean, no, but it was a very stressful time, and the deal was, I had this thing in my mind that, you know what, I'm gonna make this happen. I'm gonna push this thing through. I'm going to call government officials. I'm going to bother them. I'm going to fill out the paperwork for the hundredth time. I'm going I'm to make this thing happen. And, and there's nothing wrong with trying to make stuff happen. But let me just tell you this. It crosses the line when we start leaving God out of the picture. It crosses the line so suddenly when we start to turn things into our own self-striving. Uh, Let me tell you what I mean by self-striving. This is this. This is a little thing I have for you to say. Striving is when you try to pull off life apart from God. Like, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And it's very subtle, but you can tell when you're striving. I can tell when you're striving. You can tell when I'm striving. Hopefully, we can see it in our own hearts. It it looks like not spending time in prayer because you're not dependent upon God because you're going to make it happen. It means using other people to make something happen, and it often means your life is full of worry, anxiety, and fear, because it's all on you to make something happen. And if you don't push it through, then you're you're full of anxiety and fear that it's never going to happen. And so, obviously, during that time, this is what was going on in my life. I was freaking out, and I had to try to push this thing through. But but here's the deal: when you live like that, when I live like that, it is a theological failure. It is a personal failure. And here is where the theological personal failure is at. You're basically not trusting in God's sovereignty. You're not trusting that you actually believe there is a sovereign God in control. And when things are not going good or the way you want in life, you feel like you have to take matters into your own hands. And if it's going to be, it's up to you, right? You've got to make it happen. It's a simple distrust in God's sovereignty. And now you're full of anxiety and worry and fear. So here's the deal. Here's the reality I want to teach this morning is that God is sovereign and in control. He is sovereign. We are going to sing a song when this sermon is done called Sovereign Over Us. Don't sing it if you don't believe it. Stop singing songs you don't believe. Okay, let's just make a deal right now. If you don't believe, it, don't sing it. Do you believe that, sovereign, that God is sovereign in control over your life? He is controlling the events of your life, and your life is still going to have progress no matter what is happening. If you are his child, he's working for your good and for your glory. Do you believe that? There's this, this book. It's about that thick. It just came out. It's John Frame's Systematic Theology. And he says the most important emphasis in the Bible is the lordship of God. By that, and part of that means that God is Lord, he's the ruling Lord, and part of that includes control. And not just control over the universe and the world, but control over your personal life. And in sovereignty, he is working out a plan. And when things are not going your way and you try to push things through, it's a distrust in God's sovereignty. So what I'm trying to encourage this morning is something called rest. Maybe you need some Rest. Some rest in God's sovereignty. And I'm going to kind of break it to you. You are not God. And when you figure that out, it's a, it's, a, it's a refreshing thing. It's restful. So here we go. You're not God, all right? So there's kind of the point I want to emphasize, is that faith in God's sovereignty should lead to rest. Faith in God's sovereignty, no matter what you're going through right now, and there's some, some of you are going through some serious stuff. I know that. Faith in his sovereignty should lead to rest rather than this anxiety, fretful fear. And you kind of wonder, what does it have to do with Christmas? You you see, at Christmas times, we tend to pick out characters. Be like Mary. Be like Joseph. You know what I'm saying? Be like the wise man. Be like the shepherds. Well, let's kind of pull away from that talk, at least for today, because there's some benefit in some of those things, right? Let's look at God. And his sovereign control of working out all the details leading up to what we call the Christmas story and all the details surrounding Jesus' birth. God has been working a plan. And it's playing out during the birth of Jesus. So let me just go ahead and jump in. Let's go ahead and do that together. Let's jump into Matthew chapter 1. Start with verse 18 let's look at the sovereign hand of God. Verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. Now, this betrothal period is, is more than what we considered engagement. Like when someone gets engaged in our culture, it's more than that. Because if someone died during the betrothal period, a person would be considered a widow. And the only way to break off someone that got betrothed is something called a divorce. So it's that serious. It was basically a marriage, but there was no intimacy as the girls still lived at home. And after about a year of this betrothal period, the, the, the two would get married. So during this time, they are saving themselves for marriage, and Mary is pregnant. Yikes. Yes, that should be a definite yikes. But the deal is, there's no other man involved. And back then, there's nothing medical going on either. This is from the Lord. It talks about specifically, supernaturally, conception by the Holy Spirit. God did this. Can explain all the details of that, but God did this. It's a virgin birth. Now, there was a study that came out this week. I'm not making this stuff up. I saw it online. Had to be true if it's on Yahoo, right? No, it actually was in, that's where I saw it initially, but it's in the the British Medical Journal. And I'm going to quote here. It's about women having a virgin pregnancy a la the Virgin Mary, current day. So the study went like this. Forty-five women of 7,870 became pregnant without intimacy, nothing medical, just pregnant. And as they were being asked these questions, the conclusion that a researcher would draw that would determine is that these women became pregnant just like the Virgin Mary. Because how would you explain that they're pregnant? And so the conclusion, I guess, of the study is that these women are liars. (laughs) They're lying. (laughs) They're just liars. They're just trying to cover stuff up. But the deal is there's no lie here. There's no funny business going on here. This is for real stuff. She is pregnant, conception by the Holy Spirit of God. And it's important to have this, to have no human father involved. Let me tell you why. Because God is fully God and fully man. Don't think of Jesus as he's half God over here, and he's half man over here. No, Jesus is fully God, fully man. He can represent us before God because he's man, and he represents humanity before God because he's also man. You, you kind of get the combination, right? You got that? All right, so that's very important. Do not throw away the virgin birth, right? It's very important. It's part of the story. It's part of our salvation. All right, let's keep going. Verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Did you, did you say that? I'm going to make sure you saw that again. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So what's going on here is that Joseph is about to blow the whole sovereign plan of God from the foundation of the world. He's about to mess it all up. So the Messiah is to have his origins in the line of David, which is going to be through Joseph. Now you're going to kind of wonder, well, how can he be considered to have his origins in the line of David if Joseph is, is not the real father. We'll get to that in a little bit. But just try to understand right here, Joseph is trying to bail out of the picture that all these prophecies leading up to the line of David, and Joseph doesn't know any better. He's just a just man. He's like, man, she is pregnant. It's not mine I, we need to divorce her. I'm going to do it quietly. I'm not going to expose her publicly. I'm going to be a righteous man. If I marry her, that just proves that I'm not a righteous man. So Joseph is doing the right thing. This is what he's supposed to do as a righteous, God-fearing man. He does it in a very gracious way. He's going to do it privately. But understand this. Joseph is about to blow the whole plan of God. He's going to mess it all up. God has been working, and he's going to blow it. Do you you believe that? Do you believe that? That God has been working on his sovereign plan since the foundation of the world to bring the Messiah at just the right time through the royal line of David, and one man named Joseph is going to blow it all. You don't believe that, right? Because you're thinking, you know, God's got that covered. God is sovereign and in control. He can work around and through Joseph. God is going to pull it off. So you not, not for one instant you doubt the sovereign plan of God? And there is no way in your mind that, that Joseph is going to mess it up because God has it covered, right? You believe that, right? Yeah? Do, do we all agree that, right? And yet, when it comes to your life, you don't believe that somehow God can work out the sovereign plan of salvation for the, his elect people and even your salvation. But when it comes to your personal day-to-day and the plan that's being you know, played out in your life, you're like, man, he's just blown it. He does not have it covered, right? During my 20s, I've said this before for those of you who've known me for a while, during my 20s, I took care of my grandmother. That was not part of my plan. I did not think, you know, I just can't wait to be in my 20s as a male and I get to take care of my grandma most of my 20s. Yeah, that was not my plan. That was hard. That was challenging. That was not God's will for my life, <laughs> at least in my head. So here's the deal. One night as I was taking care of her, and I, she went to the emergency room. She's really sick. I took care of her home. and There was just no one else around. So I'm taking care of her, living with her at times, S- simple stuff. But then she started really tanking on her health. So she's in the emergency room. I went there in the emergency room, and I'm like, Here we go, again, emergency room several times. So I'm in the emergency room with her, and I'm thinking, man, this is not, this is, I I don't like this. This is hard. I don't want to be doing this. I'm in seminary. I'm studying to be a pastor. That is God's will for my life. And I have a lot to study. So I'm standing next to her bed trying to be this compassionate grandson while ignoring her. Uh, I'm standing next to her, not next to the guardrail. I have this huge blue notebook. I just prop it up. So I'm standing next, and I'm just reading my studies for seminary because that's God's will. In the bed is not God's will, right? I'm just here for whatever reason, but that's not God's will. That's not God's plan. The plan is right here to be the pastor. That's where the call came. The bed, no. Do you see that? Do you see that? Here's the idea. Rather than giving myself to comforting her, to seeing that, oh, this is part of the plan, I kind of said, no, 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 no. This is an interruption. There there was progress until now. This is not part of the plan. I want to say this. Sometimes, sometimes, let's go ahead and put this up on the screen. Sometimes, sometimes we think that the progress of our lives is interrupted. It's right on schedule under God's sovereignty for his glory and our good. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes when we think the progress of our lives is interrupted, it's right on schedule under God's sovereignty for His glory and for our good. And I know some of the stuff that you are going through. And I can't explain all the reasons why you're going through it. And I know that some hard things have, even some evil things have happened. God's not morally responsible for those things. I get that. I get that. Some of you have gone through relationship breakups, relationship issues that you would never want to go through. Some of you have experienced death. You've had some messed up careers not going. Sickness, just dramatic. Isn't amazing when you see drama in movies or you read about it in the books? You go, well, that is drama. But now some of you are living that drama. I want you to know this. God is still God, he's still sovereign, he's in control, the progress of your life has not been halted, he still knows what he's doing, and just as much as you're going to believe it's this case for Jesus and him coming here, and you believe it for yourself, if you're his child, if you trust him, he's working for your good, I can't always see the good, I won't always understand the good, but he's working for your good and for his glory. Well, let's watch the story unfold some more. Let's do it. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So he's, here's, here's, Joseph's like, man, I've got to figure out a way how to divorce this woman. And then God said, no, 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 no. God thwarts his plan, intervenes through an angel in the dream, and Joseph here is addressed as the son of David. That's import, you know, highlighting the importance of the royal line. So he said, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the conception of her is from the Holy Spirit. Then he's told to name of the t- child Jesus. Jesus was a very common Greek name um, of the Hebrew name Joshua, and the name means Yahweh saves. Very appropriate name for Jesus because Jesus is the one who's going to save. But if you look at verse 21 again, it says that he will save his people from their sins. So the idea is that God is sovereign, and he's even sovereign in salvation, that he's going to save his elect Jews and his elect Gentiles from their sins. No one, nothing, not even Joseph, is going to hinder God from saving his people. God will save his people. That will be the plan that he will accomplish. God's plan will not be stopped. Just as much in the coming of Christ and the saving of his people, so right now in your life. Keep going, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken, by the prophet. Once again, hone in on the phrase there. All this took place to fulfill. Don't think that the, ver- the, the events of Jesus are just accidental, coincidental. No, it's all part of the plan that God had, controlled every single point bringing his Messiah, he had this unfolding plan, all the events are connected, and this verse shows the connection. Now, what I'm about to explain to you, if it kind of goes over your head, and you don't get it, and you don't quite grasp it, it's not your fault, it's my fault. I'm maybe not explaining it properly. And the reason why I want to give you this, because when we read the Bible, I want us to understand what's happening in the context. I don't want to get confused and go, what's going on here? So let's look at this prophecy in the context of the whole Bible. Can we do that? Look at verse 23. The prophet Isaiah is quoted. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, the context of this original prophecy is Isaiah 7, given to King Ahaz. He was the king of Judah at the time. Now, Judah was under the threat of attack from two invading kings, and Ahaz, he's like, man, this is it. I'm done. My days are numbered. So God uses Isaiah to prophesy, to speak truth to Ahaz that this is not going to happen because a, a son of David is going to continue to sit on the throne forever. Now, the sign here, don't, don't lose me here, the sign that these kings are not going to win is this. Specifically, it says a virgin would give birth to a son and name him Emmanuel, which would show the king, King Ahaz, that God was surely with us. Now, the virgin in the context of Isaiah 7 was a woman who was married and naturally gave birth to a son. Nothing supernatural going on there. And when Ahaz saw this particular woman, he knew that the birth of the son named Emmanuel, then the opposing kings would soon be defeated. So that's kind of the the context back then in Isaiah. So there is this initial fulfillment during Ahaz' time, but... God has a sovereign plan that he was kind of working out. Okay, this is going to happen here at Ahaz time, but it's going to be even super fulfilled. That's a very theological way to speak of it. Super fulfilled at the coming of Jesus as there will be a virgin, one who will conceive supernaturally. And she will give birth to a son and name him. He'll be named Emmanuel, God with us, and he will take care of sin. I love it. That's good stuff right there. That God's plans connect with the Old Testament's working out during Ahaz time, and it's still unfolding, unfolding, unfolding at the time of Christ. And get this, it still unfolds and unfolds and unfolds till today in your salvation, and still unfolding in your life right now. God's plan's not going to be stopped. It happened in the Old Testament. Don't just read the Old Testament and say God is in charge. New Testament, God is in charge. Your life, God is not in charge. Like that's ridiculous, right? If God is sovereign over us, working for our good, we can say, Old Testament, good stuff. God's in charge. New Testament, mean, that's good stuff. God is in charge. Now it's my life. God is still real. He's still sovereign. He must still be in charge. He must still know what he's doing. Let's finish up. Verse 24 and 25. Now kind of a human response. Verse 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Took his wife, knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name uh, Jesus. Like I said, the focus on this passage is the work of God, not man. But yes, human beings do stuff. So let's kind of look at the human response. You have two teenagers here who are part of the plan Mary and Joseph. I don't know their lives too particularly well, but if they're like young people who get married today, they have plans right? And this is probably not part of the plan. Because it says here that um, he got married to her and they were not intimate until after the birth. I'm not sure that I didn't plan that. But these two submitted to the plan of God. Now, I'm going to kind of just kind of knock you over right now by something that is theologically true. This may be something new to you you've never heard before. This Joseph guy, not only is he righteous in the way that he stays married to Mary and then no intimacy till after the birth, this is, this is how he's really awesome. Joseph adopted Jesus. I go, oh, hold it now. Jesus was adopted. You think I'm making stuff up, don't you? I'm not making stuff up. You read scholar after scholar after scholar, and they will use the same adoption language. And you're like, well, I don't see, I don't see it in there where it says Jesus is adopted. Specifically, when the naming of the father, when, when a father names the child, that is done by the father. It's an act of so saying, you are my son. I am going to name you. And here, he's called Jesus. So the one, you kind, of, you kind of go, well, how did Jesus come under the son of David line? Well, the father, Joseph, named Jesus. So he's in f- officially here, this transaction here, not like in our culture. So he's the father. Jesus adopted. Comes under the son of David terminology here. So this Joseph's actions indicate a full submission to the sovereign plan of God. So I can be talking about, here's the deal. I can be talking about God's sovereignty all day. And you can, you can agree with it intellectually, but it comes down to this part right here where it gets really hard. It's called submission. If he's Lord, he has a plan, and you see how things are working out in your life, there comes a point where you have to say, Lord, I submit to you. Mary and Joseph, this is not their plans. They submit it to the Lord. And so there will come a time where things will not work out right for you perfectly. You can decide whether you're going to submit to God and his plans for you or if you're going to bail. And I guess that is an option, right? You can just bail and ask forgiveness for later. You want to live like that? Well, I know this is wrong, but I'm just going to bail and ask for forgiveness later. Don't play that game. God is sovereign. He's calling us to submit to his control over our lives. And it's not always easy. Let me tell you about this woman and her little boy that uh, my wife and I have known. It's not in this church. I'll tell the stories about this church when I'm like 80 or something. But here, this is a story from my last church, okay? There was this woman we knew, and she and her little boy and her husband would go to our church. And then her husband would, like, disappear. For, like, weeks. And then he'd come back. And he'd be with his family, and then he'd disappear. I'm like, where is this guy going? What is the, what is the problem? And I'm, like, talking to the to wife, and she's very calm. She's like, I don't, I don't know where he's at haven't heard from him, and then boom, he's back, and he's gone again, and, then, and it came to be unveiled that this dude, living double lives, had his family here, and another family over here, no joke, and of course, that relationship eventually uh, uh, ended, but this woman, I mean, just imagine, her world's falling apart, right, cannot explain Calm, prayerful, trusting God, doesn't have a clue what's happening, doesn't know what's going to happen next, does know that God's in control, God is still God, crying out to him, crying a whole lot. Every time I see her, she's crying. It's okay. It's okay to cry a lot. Is that okay? But God is still God. She's not doing anything stupid. She's not doing anything foolish. She's trusting him. Amazing. And yet that's what God's calling us to do. When the plans not work in the way we want it to work, we can bail on God. We can bail on life. or We can say, okay, God, you're still God. I do not know why this happened. I don't understand it. But you're God. For your glory, for my good, I'm going to submit to you. My brothers and sisters, if God is sovereign and in control of accomplishing his plan through the coming of Jesus Christ to save his elect Jews and Gentiles, if he is saving you through the cross and resurrection of Jesus... I believe that he's also sovereign in control of your life. Yep. And he's calling us to submit him. And when you do, you will see this trusting leads to a sense of peace. It's not always pretty. It is not always pretty. But you can just keep on with your striving self if you want to. You can just keep on. If it's going to be, it's up to you. If it's going to be, if it's up to me. Just go. You, you can keep on with that. Let me know how that goes. Let me know how that fear and anxiety goes. Let me know how that goes, but there is another option: resting in God's sovereign control. And since we're a little intimate here this morning, I just want to share something with you. I, some of you who know us know what's well, know what's going on in our lives. Um, but it's interesting. I, I started preparing this message and revisiting it for three weeks, three years ago. Like I said, when we adopted our daughter from uh, Ethiopia. And I was like, oh, this is a great message. I need it right now. But as the week started unfolding, I see how much I really need to know this. Because I'm preaching to me. You can hear it if you want. But I'm preaching to me about God's sovereign control. Here's the deal. Please don't judge us as I tell you this story. Uh, My wife and I, we have six kids. Now, for those of you who have been tracking with us, you know that we want more. All right? You know that. We want to adopt, foster, whatever. And so we have been trying to, I don't know if it's striving, I don't know what you want to call it, trying to get more kids. Don't judge us. We like, we, we, I don't know if we necessarily like kids, but we'll, we do. So we want to raise kids, <laughs> and we want to adopt them or foster them. And so we were under the impression that this was about to happen again. We were going to get more kids. But through several conversations this week and through several um, emails, we were told that due to one of our kids, a certain, I don't want to get on the tech here, a, a license that we hold on one of our kids prohibits us from having any more kids in our home at all. I mean, th- they were told us, you cannot do foster care, you cannot do safe families, you cannot do domestic adoption, you cannot do international adoption. So this week, we were essentially shut down, but for good, Not for good for a while, right? Until things clear up. It's going to be a while. And so you may think, oh, it's just no big deal. That's great, man. You got too many kids as it is. You guys are crazy. And but but to us, to us, we're like, this is what we like to do. This is this, this is what we have in mind with this vision, blah, blah, blah. Shut down. And, and, and to get to this point, it was one of these striving activities in mind right I'm gonna I'm gonna figure this out. I'm gonna call, I'm gonna call the president. <laughs> I'm gonna figure this one out. <laughs> I'm going to call somebody, but there's no more calls to make. It's done. So many officials have been involved. You should, there's nothing I can do. Oh, and I guess there's one thing I can do. I can say, oh, God, you're God. I'm not God. You're God. How about I submit to you and your plan, whether I understand it all, it's, it's your plan. And I think that maybe you should join me in submitting to God too. And I'll join you as we're wrapping up this 2013 at Evanston Bible Fellowship, this year, I have seen this church suffer more than the 10 years I've been here. The things that have gone on in your life have been just unimaginable. Like, when we started the year, I can't imagine these things were going to happen. And I realized that. Just the stuff that's been going on in your world. And I need to remind you again, please remind me too, God has not abandoned us. He's still for us. His plan's not interrupted. Still progressing for his good, for our good, for his glory. So here's what we're going to do. Let's just do this together. You do it with me, I'll do it with you. Let us just find our rest in the sovereignty of God. Let's pray. Your plans are still to prosper, and you've not forgotten us. You're faithful forever, and you're perfect in love. You're you're sovereign over us. We really want to believe that. And Lord, I know that there are some brothers and sisters in here that just feel trapped, and they want to find a way out. No matter where they look, there's no way out. May they just rest in your control, rest in your love, rest in your saving mercies. Let them know that you have not stopped a plan for them. You've not stopped progressing their lives in a relationship with you. And may they continue to cry out to you even through tears and to others to rest in your sovereign control that you're working good for them and for your glory. You have saved us you've saved your people help us to still believe you're still working you're still in control in Jesus name, Amen as we take up our morning's offering let me encourage us to once again to end the year on a note of health it's like we're kinda chipping away at our deficit currently we're at 40,000 yikes uh, we're going to kind of chip away at that. Last week, we were around 53, so we're kind of chipping away at it. and That's good news. Let's keep going. Uh, your offering can be obviously put in the plates. Or they can be passed. You can be brought to the church office. There's a slot, at a secure slot at the church office. No one has to be there if you want to put your, your offering in there as well. That's at 611 South Boulevard. But we're just going to all kind of participate in his body to provide, make provision for this church. So if the ushers want to go ahead and, and come forward, we'll go ahead and take up this morning's offering.
1: There's beauty in our tears You meet us in our mourning With a love that casts out fear You are working in our waiting Sand- us when beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper. You've not forgotten us, you're with us in the fire and the flood. Grateful for ever.